0: Fear and greed, backtest, or breakout? And is the VIX more important than earnings? Also, what about the terminal rate? That's coming up on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show in the next hour. I'm going to talk about annuity analysis. is something we do for all of our new clients because a lot of them come to us with uh, annuities in their portfolios. We don't sell them, but they sometimes come, and we look carefully at them, make sure that they're working. Ask Annex is on the way. Some great questions. Value versus growth. If U.S. companies are in China, is there a danger? When strengths become weaknesses, some good stuff. And toward the end of the show, millionaire myths—that's on the way on Money Talk. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felski, our chief investment officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano is our president, and CEO. Welcome to you.
1: Yeah, thank you, Danny. A lot of terms uh, to go through today. You covered a number of them, but I do want to start with a lot of the economic data. And I know we've been spending a lot of time talking about that. But it's so important because that economic data, Derek, really is driving this fact-based decision that the Federal Reserve is trying to do, and we are still getting really good or better numbers than we expect, which is putting pressure on the Fed to continue to raise rates.
2: Yeah, it's really, on the on the numbers, it's sort of a mixed bag, because the housing data has been universally bad, so is the manufacturing data, but the services data is still strong. On Friday, we saw ISM services came in better than expected, prices paid, was down from the prior month, so people took that as a positive. And the interesting thing about this market is we went from an extremely bullish sentiment profile six weeks ago to an extremely negative one in merely six weeks, and it just shows that people are not adequately positioned in this current economic environment.
1: And that really happened because of all of this economic data that we're referring to, you know, the PCE came hotter, we saw a number of things come in, we saw personal income up significantly in January. Now, there's a possibility that some of that will get revised down as we get seasonal adjustments, but you look at what the Fed is going to have to do next week, and it's going to be interesting, you know, widely expected that 25 basis points is at least baked in, hopefully not 50 basis points because it hasn't been telegraphed yet, but 25. Basis points here in March, and to follow a couple of more rate hikes after that. And the term that Danny used to start the show is terminal rate, and I do want to spend some time there because it's really important.
2: Yeah, the terminal rate is you know where the the Fed governors you know stop hiking the Fed funds rate, and and the next FOMC minutes. One of the things we're going to find out is where those current dot plots are, which is what the expectations are for the voting members on where they believe interest rates will go over the coming six to twelve months, and that's going to be very instructive. In fact, Neil Kashkari, one of the governors, actually said that's the important thing that investors should be focused on. And at the same time, he was essentially trying to talk down the equity market.
1: And Neil Kashkari, he's uh, the Minneapolis Fed president. And we see a lot of these Fed presidents kind of yapping a little bit out in front of what we're going to see as the statement from the Federal Reserve. But the reason why we talk about this air quotes terminal rate is because if the rate that they're going to raise to is still not 25 or 50 basis points from where we are, that means that we expect interest rates to go higher. And that's the reason why we spend so much time watching the two-year Treasury and the 10-year because both of those, Derek, are still inverted but going higher. We saw a little bit pullback on Friday but still higher than what we've seen over the media term.
2: Right. This year, the two-year note hit over 4.9%. The 10-year, which you were referring to, it hit 408, pulled back to 3.97 on Friday. And the interesting thing I find, you know, for an investor is when you think about your portfolio and you think about the yield currently the 60-40 portfolio, in other words, 60% stocks and 40% bonds, actually yields less than the six-month T-bill. And that hasn't happened since 1999.
1: Yeah, and that's been a long time. And we've been watching those interest rates. But what I do want to come back to and kind of wrap this idea up is if the higher terminal rate, in other words, where the Fed is going to stop raising rates, that's important because that'll be what we talk about as a pause in rate raising. And we've been talking about that now for six months. But you think about it for a company. If you're managing a publicly traded company or a small company or even your personal finances, that means the cost of capital, what it costs to borrow money, is higher. So that's going to put pressure on a lot of income statements. We saw earnings season just wrapping up, and they did talk about that a lot.
2: Yeah, they absolutely did. They also talked about the dollar and the, and what's been going on there, and also the cost of inflation, the higher input costs, which have been you know hampering margins, which is, have led some analysts to reduce their earnings expectations. The irony here is, you know, China is reopening and we talk about China a lot, but they were basically closed up and down for three years. That, curbed supply chain abilities, that limited economic growth, demand for oil, demand for other commodities. And as they reopen it, I think it makes the Fed's job even more challenging than it is you know, ceteris paribus. All other things being equal.
1: (laughs) Uh, That is really fancy talk, Derek. Uh, Thank you for that. And of course we're going to have to go and make sure you go through your portfolio. We do it on a daily basis, folks, and we can help you.
0: Dave, thanks for picking up on that Latin. I definitely had no idea what he was talking about. Dave Spano, our President and CEO, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management is built in a team concept, investment teams, retirement planning teams, tax planning teams, estate planning teams. That's your team when you get on board with Annex Wealth Management. It all starts at AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. This is great information whenever you need it this weekend. The weekend Review on Demand YouTube channel, The Axiom on Sunday mornings, Spotify at the top of the hour. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management show for Saturday, March 4th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on available this weekend on demand at the top of the hour. So if you want to go to Spotify and hear it all in its entirety, that'd be great. It's Money Talk the Annex Wealth Management Show. In the studio, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Dave Spano is our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management.
1: Danny, I didn't know that we were going to get a Latin class today, but as long as we're throwing it around, the facts speak for themselves ipso facto. That is what the Federal Reserve is certainly going to have to look at because there's a lot of facts that they need to look at. A lot of that is changing underneath their feet. But, you know, my argument has always been, Derek, that they're trying to raise rates and shrink their balance sheet to slow down the economy. And one of the things we are not seeing is really a weakening of the job market. And that could be because it is structural. You think, about the reason why the job market is so strong and it could be a number of reasons including you know millions of baby boomers that retired you know those people who left the service uh, industry there are people working from home on and on and so a higher interest rate of a quarter point or 50 basis points is that really going to fix a structural problem? Could be an immigration issue. There's a lot that goes into this.
2: Well, and also I was thinking about the housing market. I mean, so many people have, you know, refinanced their mortgages at extraordinarily low rates. So just because interest rates rise, it doesn't bother them in the slightest. And in this case, they're less likely to move because they don't want to lose that tremendous interest rate that they've got under wraps. You know, if you sell your house, you have to get a new mortgage at a much higher rate. You can afford less house. So why would you downsize when it costs you more to downsize?
1: yeah that's right so you know to get this slowing down of the economy which they're trying to do it is we're starting to see it and we're starting to see it because companies earnings are starting to decrease. We'd often talk about the S&P earnings in aggregate expected to be around 220. You put a common uh, price to earnings ratio on there and we look at where we're trading. You know, the S&P is at, of course, 4,000 and the number that we look at often is the 200 day moving average and it was pretty interesting this week.
2: Yeah, this was clearly a week where the t- technicians took charge. We came into the week, we were pretty oversold from a very, very elevated market just a few weeks earlier and we tested that to 200-day moving average on Thursday, opened below it, closed above it, and then we're off to the races on Thursday afternoon and Friday. So a really strong close uh, with the S&P not- notching roughly a 2% gain for the week and small caps even more.
1: So let's take a look at that and say, well, you know, we're seeing the economy still strong. We're seeing the jobs market, you know, an unemployment rate, lower than in 50 years. We're seeing the Atlanta Fed say we're going to have a significantly positive GDP report and a number of retailers came out this week. Some were mixed, but still relatively strong.
2: Right, and and consumer balance sheets are in good shape. You know, people that have student loan debt have not had to pay that for three years, so they're feeling flush with cash. Senior citizens on Social Security. That may change, though. That 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 may change, for sure. And, you know, senior citizens, an 8.7% increase on their Social Security check. Uh, So, you know, uh, and remember, not Everyone is in the stock market. Some people are retired. Some people have, have very little investments in the stock market. So, the Fed is really in a, in a tough spot. And, you know, the higher these rates go, when you start doing valuation analysis, you find the valuations get a little bit troublesome for, you know, high-octane growth companies when rates continue to rise.
1: That's right. And of course, if you're dependent upon cost of capital, higher interest rates, you have to look at those companies and say, will you be affected? And those that have less in debt and are less capital intensive, those are places to look if you're if you're flying alone here. You know, one of the last things I do want to talk about is what's happening with Russia, of course, China was poking around in Russia before. And, you know, if we see higher oil prices, you know, we see oil trading around $80 a barrel. If oil prices go higher as we go into the driving season, further evidence that the Federal Reserve is going to have a tough go of it.
2: Yeah, and the, the other thing too is and you talked about this a lot and you were one of the few that was. You know that explosive growth in M2, that took that takes about a year, year and a half to run through the system. So that still is out there. There's still a lot of cash around. And while M2 growth is slow to essentially zero at this point, the lag effects are continuing to have an effect and to the degree that the Fed is fighting that, you know, as they try to, you know, shrink their balance sheet and raise rates, uh, at some point, you know, th- something's going to break. And and one of the things that we try to pay attention to as a committee is, you know, where are the opportunities, but also where not to go. And the one area you don't want to go is where consumers are starting to see their budget stretched and the rest. So we stayed away from consumer discretionary for the most part and gone more towards energy where we see free cash flow and also, you know, healthcare, which is defensive, but people, you know, people get sick regardless of economic growth and so on. So that's how we operate as a committee.
0: Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Dave Spano. We've got him for the rest of the hour. The Annex Wealth Management annuity analysis is part of what we do for our clients. We're going to talk about how that works next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. It's another team segment at Annex Wealth Management. Eric Strom, financial planning specialist at Annex. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. And Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Good to see you.
3: And good to see you, Danny.
0: We're going to talk about annuities which can tend to confound and confuse many people even though they can be useful in properly constructed retirement portfolios. So Eric, let's start at the beginning. What exactly is an annuity? The original purpose of an annuity has been to provide
4: a guaranteed income for your whole life. Annuities go back as far back as the Roman times. Back then the more prosperous Romans would often buy what was called an annua. You would hand over a pot of money and then once a year you would receive a guaranteed income for as long as you live. But today, things are pretty different. Uh, the concept of an annuity is really adapted to modern uh, needs, and there are now investment vehicles that are incredibly complicated, some of them very expensive, that have guarantees, and things are a little different today, but it's a pretty interesting uh, landscape out there.
0: It sounds good, right? So, Deanne, where do annuities pick up their, shall we say, checkered reputation?
3: Well, here's the deal. They are an insurance product. That means there are commissions generated from them, from the sale of these products, and those commissions can actually be quite quite hefty. They're very confusing. They're layered. And a lot of times people just don't understand the reason behind having the annuity to begin with.
0: What's that old saying? Annuities aren't bought,
4: they're sold. That's exactly it. It's true that consumers aren't going out there looking for annuities. They're going out there looking for professional financial advice, and they're often presented with annuities. And these can often be very, very complicated vehicles. And that's what we're here to help with. And they don't help their reputation, their own reputation, because they can be really complex. There are variable annuities that that can come with a lot of different bells and whistles. For example, if someone buys one annuity in 2010 and then you buy the same exact product in 2011, it might be a completely different product. Uh, they change over time. They have lots of optional features. Oftentimes we see clients who ha- have an annuity they bought seven or eight years ago. Uh, maybe they don't have a, a relationship with the person who sold it to them
0: and the annuities in set it and forget it mode. And that's where they really need that expert advice. Deanne, we do have plenty of clients. They come to us with annuities in their portfolios, brand new clients. And do you find that our clients understand Understand what it is that they've got.
3: They're familiar with the word annuity and sometimes it, that can go back to their 403B or the 401K, so their company plan, where when they retire, they can be offered either a lump sum, so they can take that money they've been contributing out, or the company can annuitize it or offer them an income stream. So they're familiar a little bit with, oh yeah, I think I have this option in my retirement plan. But they're often frustrated because if they've gone to a traditional brokerage relationship outside of their retirement very often they are sold these. And sometimes they're sold them when the market goes crazy and the the advisor may hear them being a little concerned about the market. So they say, well, I'll tell you what, this can lock in a potential guarantee income stream for you. I mean, we've had clients that have come to us. This one came to us. She, the same broker had sold her five different annuities over a handful of years. And the thing is, this was a woman who already was bringing in more income than she spent. So it created a tax problem, actually. This is where she came to me and she's like, like, oh my gosh, I, I I don't know why I have these. I don't know if there's anything I can do with them. Do I have to turn them all on? And The thing is, some of them had those, as Eric said, bells and whistles. Those are extra riders. And I think this is also confusing and frustrating to our clients. When you hear the word "writer," you should actually think ching ching, because that's actually you've spent money usually to purchase that writer. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's not. And that's where analysis comes into play. And that's really important. But the first question really you have to ask is, wait, why do I need these? And what do they do for me in my plan?
0: Eric, we're looking at you and the financial planning team. So you've started an effort to help people with annuity analysis. What kind of things are you discovering?
4: You can imagine. We've seen a lot. So here are a few things that we've found. Number one, uh, your annuity might be much more expensive than you realize. Uh, Although I'll throw in the caveat that expensive is not always bad. On the surface, it seems like if my investment is expensive, that doesn't seem like a good thing. But oftentimes, a very, very expensive variable annuity, for example, might have really good guarantees that, that you depend on. We may recommend that you keep the annuity for those. But in many cases, folks might not need those guarantees, And in which case we very frequently meet clients who are paying three, three and a half percent or more in annual fees for benefits that they don't even really need. So it's very important that uh, if your annuity is expensive, that you know how it's working and make sure that you actually need that benefit. Another thing we often see are annuities that have very limited investment options, and those investment options are oftentimes super expensive. So you might have a variable annuity that has 15 investment options, and they're gonna limit you on how much you can invest in equities, and those investment options, you kinda look under the hood at how much they cost, and you go, wow, this annuity is already pretty expensive, and you add this cost on top of it. When we start looking under the hood at these annuities,
0: you really can find um, some of these details that you gotta make sure you understand them. So that annuity analysis, that's good stuff. Eric Strom, financial planning specialist at Annex, part of the financial planning team at Annex and a great source of annuity knowledge. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. And Deanne Phillips, director of client learning and development, CFP and CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks to you as well.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Let's talk about locations because we want to make it very easy to meet. We're in Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, right inside the Fister, Madison, Naples, Florida, and Libertyville, Illinois, or as close as your computer at AnnexWealth.com. Bottom of the hour, let's get caught up and head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. As always, got a question for us, you head to our website, annexwealth.com. Look for the ask tab. As always, if we can help, click that get started button. Sarah Kyle's in the studio. She's a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hi, Danny. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. First question from Omar. What tools or indicators are available to identify potential trends or reversals in stocks? Wow, he's a serious question.
5: <laughs> Omar, you can check with your custodian. There are a large number of free indicators that the custodians offer. Most of them will also offer support to help you learn how to use those different indicators. So, But the key is just it's important to choose an indicator that works best for your trading style.
6: Next is from Mike. Are there currently more value or growth opportunities? That's a great question, Mike. And, you know, that's certainly, you know, specific to the time that we're having this conversation. From our standpoint, value has been looking more attractive than growth. Now, value has outperformed over the last year or so, so we're not the only ones that have thought that as well. Part of that's due to the rising interest rates of our response to the Fed's actions. And as long as that's the environment that we're in, companies that pay dividends that have higher profitability that are returning that cash back to shareholders are things that are generally going to work better. Again, generally, there's always going to be exceptions to that. And then As we move forward and we get to a spot where rates have stopped rising and they're more stable, or or even if we start to go into recession, they start to come back down, uh, that's probably an area where growth might look a little bit more attractive.
5: Yeah, and Matt, don't you think some of those companies have their debt coming up for refinancing, and then they will have to pay that higher interest rate?
6: Yeah, that's one of the things. Especially, you know, when we look at growth companies, at least through 2021, it was almost unprofitable. Tech was really the place to be, but if you're unprofitable and you're not being able to pay your bills, you got to keep continuing to take more and more debt out exactly right when you're starting to borrow at six seven eight nine ten percent becomes really hard to sustain that and that's the area of the market that really got pounded over the last year here's one from ted i plan on retiring early 2025 do i wait until then to do roth conversions
0: is there a limit on how many i can do i will wait on taking social security until 26 or 27 so my income in 25 will be low
5: Well, Ted, of course, it all depends on your unique tax and financial situation. But general rule of thumb is we like to do the Roth conversions the years between retirement and required minimum distribution age. That is generally when the income is the lowest. But that's not always the case, but typically it is. And there's no limit to how many Roth conversions you can do. We just want to make sure the annual amount makes the most sense from a tax and a financial planning standpoint. We have to be sensitive to that Irma threshold for Medicare premiums and Social Security taxation, as well the tax brackets
0: one from arty large u.s companies like mcdonald's are still opening stores in china coca-cola has a big presence P&G. With the current unrest, is that creating undue exposure to those companies?
6: Yeah, it certainly increases the risk and the oversight that you need to have in the companies you're investing in. And we see what happened with Russia and Ukraine that once that war started, so many companies pulled out of Russia, and they're not doing business there anymore. China's probably a different story in terms of the size of the consumer there and how important it is for a lot of US companies. We just recently met with a couple portfolio managers that deal a lot with China, and they have different viewpoints on how that's working, going to work through. They both understand the risk, and one of them is significantly underweight China the other one has a little bit different viewpoint where they don't believe the risk is as high but it also depends on what type of companies you're you're dealing with too and the, your confidence in the management of that company to be able to s- foresee what's going on and be able to weigh the reward of that consumer base with the risk of investing in another country and like kfc is just enormous in china right yeah and they from my understanding it's not the same kfc you know they don't they don't have the same menus over there that they do here so i'd be really curious to go into one of them and see what they have to offer uh but yeah a lot of times they go into those other countries and create a brand new menu that's specific to where they are all right uh, last one is from Cole this question is for Matt number one love the SWAT podcast
0: number two how often do you find what might have been a strength two months ago is now a weakness or vice
6: versa are there ever times where a strength is also a threat well thank you very much Cole we appreciate that it's a lot of fun for us as an investment team to do and something that we believe provides a lot of value as well so thank you very much certainly when we plan those podcasts out and we're going through some of that research That we do, it's very common for something I think to be either a strength or a weakness and then have an opposite effect from an opportunity or threat standpoint. And part of that is that we're very forward looking when we try to do those. So at times, maybe the consumer has been really strong. And that's something that that is helping the economy stay afloat with rising interest rates and some of the other negatives that are coming down the, the path. But as we look forward, that's an area that could become a weakness later on as credit card balances continue to pile up. Interest rate on those balances, same thing with mortgage rates, car loan rates, all those things going up. That's an area that could be a threat going forward. In terms of over time, how many of them flip? It's probably less than most would think. When we're looking out and trying to think through that, although we live in a 24-7 world right now in news media and, and be able to see everything, it, it feels like things change quite a bit. But in reality, it takes a long time for the economy to move and to change, and a lot of what the Fed's done over the last year really hasn't even started to impact yet. So some of those things are a are, are longer tail than, than you would probably think.
0: This is why it's confusing. This is why you need a plan. That's Ask Annex. Matt Morsey, CFP, Investment Team Manager. Thanks. Thank you, Danny. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. Millionaires sometimes don't get the respect they deserve. There are plenty of myths about millionaires. One is, you had it handed to you. We'll go over a list of millionaire myths next after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Brandon Lehman, a wealth manager and director of branch development at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Danny, good to see you. According to Fidelity's Millionaire Outlook study, the vast majority of millionaires, eighty two percent, are self made. They didn't inherit money. They built their wealth themselves. Let's talk about that because we have a list of millionaire myths, and I'm sure you've run into some.
7: Oh, yeah. There's quite a few stories out there of you know what you need to do, how you are. And and one of the biggest ones to me kind of jumps into number one there, and I'll let you run with it. But it's really important. It's not what you make. It's what you keep.
0: And I think this must be frustrating for people that have achieved millionaire status. Let's go with number one.
7: If you have a high salary, you are set for life. You would think that. And and sometimes that's kind of The myth out there is you make a lot of money, you're gonna have a lot of money, but really, some people grow into that income, they grow into that high salary they actually don't save. They want to keep up with the Joneses, but really it's, there are certain individuals who have sat down and said, you know what, to be a millionaire, I do have a high salary, but I am going to save this. I'm going to save that diligently focused on saving as much as they could to better themselves for retirement. And that's really what they're concerned with. A lot of millionaires, it's not the now it's when can I finally retire? And you'll see later on in some of these myths that it's actually a lot later in life. They work harder
0: fidelity study found that on average 31% of millionaires' salaries go to savings so right they're putting in
7: yeah that is their number one goal is just to put away to put away Millionaire
0: myth number two, it's all luck.
7: That is very much a myth because a lot of the folks that we talk to here at Annex have worked extremely hard. They put in long hours, long nights, long days, time away from their family to build this legacy, not just for themselves, but sometimes for their family. They're doing it and they're putting in the time and the effort to get to where they want to be.
0: Millionaire myth number three, you have to make all your money. Before you retire. See
7: that one is great to me because when I think about it, there are so many people that I've met throughout my career that were not millionaires before they retired. But they went into retirement and they did two things. First off, they continued to remain invested. They didn't do bring it all down be cautious, be safe. They said, you know what? We have a long time frame, some situations, 30 plus years in retirement. We need to keep this growing for us. The second thing they did is they watched their spending. Seeing a common theme here, they watched how much they were spending and where their dollars were going. Millionaire myth number four, you must have a fancy college degree. That is extremely inaccurate. While it does help to have a great degree from Harvard, Yale, things like that, you know, the vast majority of people do not. They are self-made millionaires who have gone out and started a business and put in the time, put in the effort, and were able to find a niche or an opportunity to grow that business. The key is they put in the effort, they put in the work, and they strived so hard and put so much forth to grow their wealth to reach that millionaire status. You know, the classic book from the 80s, I read it, The Millionaire Next Door. I think one of the best lines I've ever heard is, you know, the farmer next door yep. really is a millionaire, a yep. multimillionaire. Now, with you look at land prices and where they're at, but, you know, they, they work hard, they save their money, and they don't overspend.
0: Millionaire myth number five, they work for big banks, law firms, and tech companies
7: well some of them do yep yeah there's there they definitely do but the vast majority do not you know you look at it 66 percent of millionaires own their own business they start out they have nothing they, they pour their heart and soul into this whatever business they have whether it's owning a paper printing company or a clothing store whatever the they do they pour their heart and soul into it and it takes years and that's what people don't see is all those years of sweat equity that they put into it the famous thing I've always seen on LinkedIn I, I love LinkedIn LinkedIn, is you see the the pyramid of the first, second, and third place, and they're standing in the first place position. But underneath that pyramid, under the ground, is all that sweat equity, that work they put in over 10, 15, 20, 30 plus years to build that business. Millionaire myth number six, success comes easily and early. Oh, that's a great one. One, nothing in life is easy when it comes to hard work. But the second thing that is extremely important is you're seeing the age of millionaires get older and older because they are working harder and working longer. Maybe 70 is the new 55 but they continue to strive and they diversify their income streams. This is one that has always been interesting to me. When I sit down and meet with millionaires and specifically business owners, the one thing I always notice is the same across the board. They own the business, but then they own the building in a separate business in which the business is housed, the business pays them rent. So they're able to diversify their income streams. And then if they sell the business, maybe they keep the building. That is a common one you see as well. We got two more. Millionaire myth number seven, they don't have anything to worry about. That is a big myth because everybody has the same thing to worry about, and it's always health. A lot of these folks, especially small business owners, have put everything behind them just to make sure their business takes off. A lot of people have put everything they can into their business and kind of pushed off their health. And that's something we tend to see too. These small business owners have worked so hard and they've forgotten about taking care of themselves. And that's a big concern when they come in here. They say, you know, I've worked 30, 40 years. It's time for me to take care of myself. The other thing is, you know, how do they leave money behind? A legacy is so important to a lot of these folks. They want to take care of their family, take care of their kids. And then just financial security. You work, 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 save, save, save. And then at some point that flips and now you're not saving, you're withdrawing. And that it's a scary moment for a lot of folks. And the
0: millionaire myth number eight, the final, they've got their future all figured out.
7: That's the reason we're around. They come in here, they are experts at what they do. And I, and I say this all the time. They are the subject matter experts or in the military, we call it, they're the SMEs in their area. But there's other areas where they're just not as comfortable. So they come to Annex and they sit down with us because we can bring all those teams to them. We bring the experts in the tax. We bring the experts in the estate. We bring the experts in the planning and the investment. This way, they don't have to worry about having it figured out because they know they have a team behind them to figure it out for them, and they can worry about the things they want to do and take care of their health, their family, and their future.
0: We are ready to assist investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary website, AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get started button. Brandon Lehman, Director of Branch Development and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. Danny, thank you. A couple of live learning opportunities on the way. Financial planning in a changing tax world for our Women in Wealth group on Thursday, the 16th. Financial planning in a changing tax world for everybody happens on Tuesday, March 21st, 6 o'clock at our headquarters in Elm Grove. Complete details at AnnexWealth.com. Look for the events tab. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Back in Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Glad to have you riding along. Check out the Axiom, our free weekly newsletter. We're on social media. Really proud of our Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. Brand new videos every week that Annex Wealth Management has produced. Our SWAT podcast, Monday mornings, comes from the Annex Wealth Management investment team. That also on Spotify. And again, this show on demand at the top of the hour on Spotify. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer in the studio. Dave Spano is our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management.
1: Yeah, thanks, Danny. You know, I was walking by the boardroom earlier this week, and uh, Derek had the entire investment team in there. 10 really smart people uh, talking about ideas and you know one of the things that we say in those meetings is it's not always where you should invest it's where you should not invest in other words what is going to have a tough sled going forward and that's a conversation that we had this week
2: right i mean you know we're always talking about you know you know how companies reported what the guidance was how their position going forward does it make sense from a top down and a bottom up perspective we we talk to experts who take both sides of that case and basically make a judgment on which side we believe to be right. And then, of course, we validate that by price action and the rest, with you know, as, as Todd likes to call it, the trading aspect of it. And, and, and just try to you know, be ahead of the curve, be a little bit tactical at the edges, uh, not go for home runs when it's not appropriate. And Right now, you know, we're a little bit right of neutral in equities, not significantly overweight, but we have been gradually adding equity exposure on weakness, our most recent ad being overseas.
1: You know, I looked in in that meeting and we have PhDs and CFAs and some MBAs. And of course, Derek, you know, you've been a mutual fund manager and that's so different. You know, when we talk about, you know, know the difference, that's one of the check marks that we have on our list is, you know, how, how is your money being invested? If you've hired an insurance agent and they're just putting it in a set it or forget it portfolio, is that really taking advantage of all of the opportunities that are out here? There's so many facts and circumstances that are changing. You know, one of those things that we're looking at is the VIX and the VIX is a measure of volatility. You watch that closely.
2: I do. And I, you know, I read this interesting study. I don't know if I've even discussed this with you. But anyway, the study was what's more important on the performance of the stock market, a falling VIX or rising earnings? And what you find is a falling VIX actually has more predictive value for the performance of the S&P 500 than earnings do. Over what term? That's interesting. Over, over, over a three to six month time frame. So, right. so when you hear on the TV about these companies, they beat the numbers and this and that, and the stock market should go up because of that. That's really just a waste of time. The bottom line is: are people getting more or less confident about the market itself? And volatility is a measure of confidence. The higher the volatility, the less confident people are. So, in an environment like this, you know, I, when I was watching the thing hit the 200 day on Thursday, the VIX was down, which was telling you there was no great threat there. So it was a really great opportunity to, to reload in a couple of names that we like that it pulled back to support and so on
1: and so if you're uh, if you're managing your assets yourself or you've hired somebody who is not and these are keywords a fee only fiduciary and the reason why I pound that so often is there's some people who act as a fiduciary and then they take that hat off and then they put on their product sales hat and sell you a high commission product you really really got to watch out for that folks because uh, you have to make sure that you understand what you're buying how much you're paying for it and why it's in your portfolio and that's what we do and so if you're listening to this and you want a second of eyes on that portfolio to make sure you're getting it with a sophisticated and intelligent group. Go through this process. It's really going to help you. We go through and holding by holding, and that's really important. This is not just throwing some stuff against the wall and slamming a fixed annuity at you.
2: Guys, what do we have uh, coming up next week? Well, we've got a lot of information coming up the week of uh, March 11th. We have the CPI on March 14th, PPI the 15th, and the FOMC the 21st and 22nd. Uh, The non-farm payrolls will be out on 310. That's a big number. The estimate is for 200K. And remember, last time it was 517. So that will clearly set the tone for whether we see 25 or 50 basis points in March. Got it. Derek Felsky is our chief investment
0: officer. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. My pleasure. Dave Spano, president and CEO. Appreciate that good show today thank you very much
1: yeah good running the show today danny thank you
0: folks if we can help our website annexwealth.com click that get started button investment and retirement planning tax planning and estate planning inflation not going away threats present themselves frequently but so do opportunities is your plan on track to handle both are you sure put annex on your side in the battle for 2023 and beyond We're going to be back here next Saturday at 10. Hope you can join us then. If not, we'll be on Spotify. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.